from the Medical Republic, I'm Wendy John. Thanks for joining me. Rheumatology is one of those conditions that is kind of nebulous. There's lots of varieties, there's lots of approaches that can be made for patients and GPs are at the heart of managing rheumatology patients through what's usually a disease that can be with them for life. Today in the tea room, we have Dr. James Martin. Dr. Martin has worked closely with Dr. Claire Barrett, who's now the president of the Australian Rheumatology Association, and they've been developing some guidelines and checklists and some approaches to help GPs more effectively manage and treat and be with their patients throughout the journey of rheumatological disease. Thanks so much for joining us here today, Dr. Martin. I see you have tea in hand. That's a good thing in the tea room. Yep, definitely. Wouldn't be without it. Good to meet you, Wendy. Now, I would be keen to hear what got you first involved and interested in working in the rheumatology space. Rheumatology happened by accident, I suppose. When I started working as a GP liaison officer for the PHN, I was aware that my clinical commitments didn't leave me with too much extra time to do that. And rheumatology seemed like a nice, manageable specialty that I could get my teeth into. So it's only by luck that I found myself sharing that work with some very enthusiastic and committed local rheumatologists who are very keen to involve GPs in providing best care for their patients. And what were you hearing from the rheumatologists about what's needed in the primary care setting? I think the messages were an improvement in collaboration and a closer partnership between primary and secondary care in managing these long-term conditions. And also maybe just a little more awareness, familiarity and comfort with some of the more interesting and sometimes complicated medications that they use for rheumatology. There's some tricky ones there that have some potentially big side effects too. That's true, and that can be off-putting for certainly patients and GPs, but I think once you've taken a little time to familiarise yourself with those and also seen the huge benefits they afford, then it, it certainly becomes easier to assist these patients on their journey. Well, let's dig in. Let's have a look at some of the pathways that you've developed with Dr. Claire Barrett and the rheumatologists. In your role as a GP liaison officer for the PHN, you go around helping educate GPs or facilitate conversations between GPs and the Australian Rheumatology Association. What have you got? You've opened up one of the pathways. These links will be in the show notes. So if you're listening in, you go, hey, I want to have a look at that. Check out the show notes. Great. Yeah, well, these we have called shared care fact sheets. They're designed to be two-page documents on on all the major rheumatology medications, the the most commonly used ones, and and they just provide a little handy guide for GPs, I guess, firstly, in clarifying what specialists ask of them, and secondly, in troubleshooting issues that might come up with patients on those medications and a few more links to to further information. And the big one when it comes to rheumatology, of course, is methotrexate. So I'm having a look at our methotrexate shared care fact sheet at the moment. Let's go into it. Mm, There's a lot of stuff on there. So they're a bit daunting to look at. There's 
we, <laughs> we were absolutely adamant that we weren't going beyond two pages. So there's, we've packed it in and, and we start really with a, with the core that we, we determined that the core of what sharing care for a patient with methotrexate would involve. And that's really handing back to, to GPs what the specialist is asking. And it's stuff that we are attending anyway and that is we're certainly no stranger to. So for a patient with methotrexate, boldly at the top of the document, the, we're, we're asking that the GP looks at their vaccination status, make sure they're up to date with those, to make sure the patient has a skin check every year as patients taking methotrexate are at increased risk of some skin cancers. Talk to our patients about contraception, something that we obviously do frequently anyway, due to the need to avoid becoming pregnant while you're taking this drug. Emphasize the critical importance of regular pathology testing as directed by the rheumatologist usually and helping the rheumatologist field any issues that arise from that. And also reviewing our patient clinically for rheumatological and non-rheumatological issues that crop up whilst our patients are taking this drug for many years, potentially. For many years, yeah. Just one final and probably most important thing at the bottom of that box of six sort of checkpoints is to call the rheumatology team if there's any concerns and and a note of how to do that in our region. So, you know, rheumatologists are keen to talk to GPs when, when they have questions or when things aren't going according to plan. Now, you mentioned that collaboration is one of the things that one of the areas that rheumatologists said, hey, we'd like to have more of with the GPs. That's and I'm sure every GP would be like, yes, we we would love to make those phone calls. It's really factoring it in across a really busy schedule, isn't it? It's so, so difficult. And we have. I mean, there's no no MBS funding for that. For sure. That's one of the major barriers, time and funding. But I guess, sadly, we're used to that as GPs at the moment. We have to be selective in in when and why we call, but increasingly get more and more value from connecting with colleagues, whether they're rheumatologists or or anyone. And it's it's nice to remember there's other people out there striving to do the best for our patients as well. So this is something that you find useful in your own practice as a GP? Absolutely. There's too much information on there for me to remember, even though I help write it. So I refer to it for lots of reasons. The first major section that GPs might want to dip into would be to how, how to handle some abnormal blood tests for a patient on methotrexate, whether we need to panic and tell the patient to throw the medication away, which we're hoping to avoid, whether we can make some sensible changes ourselves, let the rheumatologist know what's going on with the letter, or whether we need to call the rheumatologist and, and potentially think about pausing the medication because something more serious is happening. Right. And so there's guidelines around analysing your investigations and, and helping make those judgment calls. Absolutely. Specific ones around liver function. How high can you allow liver function to go? When should you adjust dose? When should you pause the medication? When would you contact the rheumatologist, for example? That's great. There was, on your earlier point around asking whether someone is pregnant or doing pregnancy testing, there's a wonderful story that written by my colleague at the Medical Republic, Holly Payne, on a presentation that was made, I think, at the recent uh, American College of Rheumatology conference called Converge. It's just happened in Philadelphia in USA. And there was a great session on how do you have respectful and appropriate conversations with 
patients who are transgender around the risk of pregnancy with respect to particularly going on drugs like methotrexate. So that's a really good read. I'll also put the link of that in the show notes because I think it's very useful to help guide sensitivities and and appropriate ways to have that conversation with people who may not appear to be someone who might fall pregnant by looking at them, but who physiologically may be able to. Absolutely. That sounds really interesting. It's something that we're increasingly encountering in general practice and, you know, developing our skills with those types of patients. Yeah. Okay. So that's great to know that there's that resource around thinking how to deal with some of this other pharmacology. Are there other drugs that are particularly, I mean, the JAK inhibitors are, are kind of in the news a lot? Yeah, there are there are so many biologic medications used in rheumatology that we unfortunately couldn't create a sheet for each one. But we've done our best to try and encapsulate the essence of that group of medications in a single sheet, which does encroach beyond the two pages, um, <laughs> fortunately. But we, we've kept it to three, and we do reference individual drugs and and specific issues around them in the table at the end. Are there any general thoughts around using JAK inhibitors and how a GP might approach that? Is there anything general that you'd be able to share with us at the tea room? Look, even though I have some interest in rheumatology, I leave the complicated drugs to the rheumatologist. And if I'm not sure, I look it up and or speak to somebody. And I think that goes back to your comment around the, the absolute critical importance of collaboration and getting on the phone. That, that's right. These guys know the drugs inside out and, and they can assist you really quickly. And you, you do have to be careful sometimes with those medications. But similarly, you know, with some basic guides, which we try to provide in the rest of the sheet, we, we help GPs not to be afraid of them and not to panic when their patients are taking them, even though you do hear some some unfortunate stories around those medications and tend to hear the, the worst side of them sometimes and, and overlook the, the huge benefits they provide to a lot of people. Because patients can also panic when they have a sense of what the possible side effects could be. That's right. We've all had patients in our consulting rooms who've been given a new medication by a rheumatologist and looked at the product information and decided they're not taking it but hopefully they've got a a GP that knows them they've come in to share that concern and and we can help allay it to a certain extent because some of these side effects are are rare and and can be mitigated or will resolve if the drug's stopped. And adherence is so critical for every drug but these kind of drugs in particular so and the GP has a central role with adherence with patients, right? Absolutely right, yeah. Crucial for in, in all specialties, rheumatology for sure. We all walk with our patients on these journeys with particular medications and the patient might only get one or two opportunities a year to talk to their rheumatologist. So questions will come to us and it can be very satisfying to help patient work through the issues or concerns that they've got around these medications. So early detection is also very important. What advice might you have around early detection of some of these more tricky diseases? Well, as GPs, we keep our radar 
on the go all the time for things that we need to pick up early. And rheumatological diseases are no exception. We will do the normal things that we do as GPs, talk to our patients, examine them and investigate further, and then involve colleagues if necessary from there. So I think just just remembering that not not all musculoskeletal issues belong in the realm of physios and orthopedic surgeons, and we need to be aware of those those patients that are stiff in the mornings or have swelling in the joints and keep our rheumatology, rheumatology brains attached, as well as all those other ones that we have to have firing every day. You've developed some pathways with Dr. Claire Barrett from the Australian Rheumatology Association, I think before she was president at the ARA. What did you glean from working that closely with such an esteemed rheumatologist? It's, it's been a pleasure to work with Claire. She's so so dedicated, enthusiastic, got so much energy that, that rubs off on the people that work with her. She is an excellent leader and that was evident right from first getting to know her. But you know, I've, I've been lucky that all the rheumatologists that I've worked with seem you know, similarly motivated and enthusiastic and in many ways, I think, have parallels with GPs in that, you know, they commit to long-term relationships with their patients and are comfortable with seeing them those, those long, you know, chronic diseases. They'll often need a rheumatologist involved with throughout. There's probably something great about in, in the day in, day out of working in a, in a general practice stepping outside of that and being able to engage with people who are really motivated and inspired in their particular field. Did you find it a bit invigorating for your own practice? Uh, Definitely. I I think we all, all of us GPs benefit from from a a life outside general practice in whatever form that takes, whether it's professional or or recreational. And uh, it's really good to switch off GP mode and, and, work on uh, something to do with improving systems or developing a guideline with with these guys who are who are right at the top of their field and doing research and you know, pioneering things in rheumatology in Australia. You've also spoken quite a bit with the GPs in your remit in the PHN around well-being and taking care of themselves. This is something that GPs are uh, unfortunately more and more aware of, the pressures in general practice with GPs, but also practice nurses and reception staff have been as, as big as they've ever been, I think, over the last few years for a multitude of reasons. It, it's crucially important that we look after ourselves and our colleagues as much as we can if we're going to continue to do all the incredible work that we all do around the country. And what are some of the strategies that you've found to be effective for GPs taking more of a focus on their well-being? This is this is the heart of where GPs are at right now in many ways. It really is. And it's so difficult because every practice is different and certainly every GP is different. There's so many different factors that go into creating a, a functional workspace and an environment that you and you can flourish and provide good care. Things like ensuring an adequate work-life balance, collaborating with people around you, and, and putting your hand up and talking to someone if things aren't going well. GPs know this, but they don't always pay heed to it and, and put it in practice, in my experience. I mean, it's hard to do anyway. Do you think that 
GPs feel a special stigma around being able to admit the, that they're having a tough time? I think they do. I think it's the nature of, of doctors in general, not just GPs, that we feel we should get on with it, put our heads down and, and keep working harder to achieve results. But uh, I know that when GPs step back and talk to people, either people experiencing the same thing or, or just others around them, it really helps them refresh and reset and reprioritize and continue to do what they entered medicine for. It can be quite amazing how much difference some relatively short conversations can make, and they're, they're so important. We spoke recently on the Tea Room with Tracy Johnson, who is a health economist and the CEO of a large not-for-profit general practice in Inala in Brisbane, and she was doing the, the number crunching around how to best scale a clinic and she's recommending to take advantage of the huge costs of real estate to do shifts for doctors. So some starting at 7 o'clock and working till 1, some starting at you know midday and working till 7, and that she said that not only does that make good sense financially for a clinic, it's also really they're finding the doctors are having a lot more satisfaction, doctors who want to do that, having more satisfaction because they have some more flexibility in their work-life balance. Yeah, I, I think having having options is always great. Having the, the chance to be flexible and move the your working day around to suit the rest of your life is can be a, a great option for for some doctors. Well, Dr. Martin, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Wendy. It's it's great to have the opportunity to talk about some of the things that we're passionate about and been working hard on and you know and also having the chance to mention the the importance of looking after yourself as a GP and contact an organization like Doctors for Doctors if that's getting difficult. So we'll put a link to Doctors for Doctors also in the show notes so thank you very much once again for that hope you have a great day. Thanks Wendy thanks for inviting me. That was Dr James Martin GP liaison officer for the Brisbane North PHN and a general practitioner. I'm Wendy John. Thanks for joining me in the Tea Room. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can search for us on your favourite podcast player and subscribe. Leave us a review if you like. If you have any news tips or want to chat, you can email me at wendy at medicalrepublic.com.au. The Tea Room is a production from the journalists at the Medical Republic. Visit us at medicalrepublic.com.au to keep up to date with all the latest news and views in general practice. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. We love to keep you informed. Thanks for tuning in.